I like the, the cozy feel of being out um, with you, um, opening the Word of God, and hopefully we will kind of enjoy the adventure of the Word of God together in this way. And in a few moments, I'm going to invite Steve Pauls to come up, and we're going to talk about uh, kind of what this furniture, this new furniture piece represents, and how we are sort of trying to transform this room into more of a worship center and to give us more of a focus on God's Word and communicating truth and our worship and and enhancing that and really causing us to use all of the gifts and talents that we have with our Mac crew and, you know, to have a pastor who also is trained in architectural design is a a blessing and it's a a uniqueness to our church and so we want to use him and use his team to uh, enhance our worship and our fellowship together. A couple of things that are going on in our body uh, that are real-time events coming up. This morning is the last morning that you can sign up for early registration for the Women's Conference. That's going to be at Alaska. It's coming up, and I know the guest speaker very well. Uh, I live with her. She's my wife. And uh, anyway, she's been studying, pouring over um, the Word, and really meditating on what she's going to say. And I've been encouraged to begin to hear some of the previews of what the Lord is laying on her heart, and so really consider being a part of that. Great way for you to connect with each other as well, but that's coming up um, in early October. Also, uh, this weekend, on Saturday, the Bilesmas, uh, we had as we have as our Awana missionaries, um, Dan and Geraldine Bilesma, have encouraged me to talk about the Awana Statewide Conference, and I'm excited about that. That's a gathering of several churches that participate in Awana that will be here on Saturday, and I'm actually going to teach a couple seminars, and so if you want to come out and enjoy that, um, see the Bilesmas or or see us in the office and get registered for that. But it's a great way to train for Awana and also for any children's ministry. On Sunday, we also have uh, sort of a new offering, but it's something that I'm sure we've done in the past. It's put out by our missions commission, specifically what's called the Blessed Feet Ministry. It's talking about missions and the blessed feet of those who carry the gospel into all the world. And we are a local church which makes us sort of a missions sending post, and we need to find out more and more what's going on with our missionaries that we support, what they're doing, what they're involved in, where they are, what their needs are, and we need to be excited about missions because why else are we left here but to give the gospel and spread the glory of God for his um, namesake. And so come this Sunday coming from 6 to 8 o'clock, it's going to be in the chapel, there'll be some snacks provided, we'll worship the Lord together and uh, gather around the theme of missions. Okay, well, Pastor Pauls, come on up. We're going to talk about what's happening in our church fellowship and specifically what's happening with some of these renovations and our refurbishing of the worship center. Let me start by saying this. Uh, About six or eight months ago, Linda Grant approached me about a relationship that she has with a company, with people in a company called Stark Raving Solutions. Kind of a unique name, but it's all based on the owner, which is Dan Stark. And uh, they came here, as they do. They go to different churches, and they'll worship with us. They're believers, and they, they sort of experience our worship. And they came and experienced our worship and heard the preaching and looked at our room and thought about um, what we're doing in terms of lighting, in terms of acoustics, and in terms of beauty. And they've given us a, a packet of suggestions that we can implement. 
And so we actually started to implement some of those suggestions because we were also given around this time an anonymous gift that has financed uh, the first phase of renovating this room and refurbishing it and making it um, more of a worship center and environment. And so you'll see in your bulletin this uh, sort of layout that itemizes different things that we're in the process of doing. We still need some skilled volunteers, and we have many people who want to serve in this way, and, and all of the cost of phase A or part A is taken care of. And so that's a wonderful blessing. Part B, though, is something that I want us to prayerfully consider because we're not going to move forward unless there are funds to do more things. We kind of want to pay as we go, but at the same time, I want us to be open to being prompted by the Holy Spirit to give towards Part B because Part B will enhance our sound and our lighting. It'll provide some curtains and uh, some video equipment that will, again, help us to worship the Lord and focus us on the glory of God together. And we want to do everything we do with excellence to the best of our ability. Even though some of these items are, are pricey or high in cost, I do want to remind us that because we have skilled volunteers here, Stark Raving Solutions actually designs um, situations where people can jump in and serve and do more to defray the cost of what you get for what you pay for. So, anyway, Steve, why don't you join in here? We're going to dialogue yeah, about this I, a bit. You know, this last Friday we set this up, and uh, the crew were setting it up, and we're kind of experiencing it firsthand, and we're going, wow, you can kind of see each other here, and, uh, you know, we're closer to each other. Maybe you won't sleep as much. It was, <laughs> it was, they were, it was really interesting. I, and then we were wondering what would happen to all these people who you sit in the center but I know you're here. I know you're out there. <laughs> so this has just been a lot of fun to, to do as well as to participate in. I, I, when Jeff came here 14 months ago, or roughly then, we, we got to know each other. And he was trained in California at the Master's College. And I was trained there in architecture. And so, but I think there's about 30 years in age difference. So, you know, <laughs> I was old school surfer body surfer he's new school board surfer but anyway we have we have it's a bonded deep spiritual connection yeah, it's a that deep made spiritual here. connection but we have bonded over the word of god and the love of god that drives our relationships and the, the work of god which has all to do with discipleship you know how he's changing each one of us to be more like christ so it has been so much fun working with him and then he has a great appreciation for design so I have enjoyed working with Jeff and look forward to how God is using people here at Grace, and especially this guy. Um, one of the things that's unique in my history is, is as I came here 30 years ago, was I got to see us build the first place, the, the first half of this gym. And when we built this, we built it as a worship center with the hope that someday it would be used as a school. And we know that over the last 30 years, this school ministry, which has risen up in this church, has grown dramatically. And we have made a number of changes to this space. It's expanded. We've, we've changed the stage. And at times it has felt more like now that we're worshiping in a school rather than in a worship auditorium. And one of the things that we want to do is change that around. We want it to feel more like a worship auditorium. And will we still have baskets? Yes, they're still there. But we're going to make them fade into the background when we come for worship, or even when the school does fine arts. So we have found that 
we, we can draw ourselves to focus in on worship just through the design. I'm excited about the first part because it's paid for, and that means we can just go full bore as fast as we can based on the help that we have. Now, we've designed this so that the second part here, we've sort of done some structural stuff, but the painting, we're going to need your help. We're going to need skilled volunteers or maybe not so skilled. Right, Anybody? just fake it. Just yeah, show no, up just and fake it. On. It's fine. Yeah, just do it. So, and the <laughs> second part, I was, uh, got an email last night from Jess Stark. That's uh, Dan's wife. And, and she was telling me, are you guys on track? Do you want us to keep proceeding with the design? This has to do with all the acoustics and the audio systems and the visual systems. I said, yes, just go for it. We've authorized you to go for it. Let's go for it. We can do it at the same time as money comes in as we're doing the surface renovations. Yeah, I was just going to say, Stark Raving Solutions is a proven sort of organization and setup. They have redone about five to six churches in Anchorage and several in the lower 48. And so I've seen and viewed their work, and it's really good. Uh, I was worshiping, we were worshiping in a church earlier this week together as churches gathered, and the acoustics were just beautifully um, um, happening while we worshiped the Lord together. And uh, so I'm excited about the possibility and potential of what we have. But again, we're going to do as much as we see the Lord providing for us to do. And so be in prayerful consideration about this venture and project. We have a uh, Categories that are itemized here in the Part B phase. So if the Lord lays a certain area on your heart that you'd like to give towards, you can designate money towards that. Or you can just give in general towards Part B. And this would be over and above your regular giving, of course. But uh, it, we're not necessarily going to do these things in order, but we are going to do these things as we see the providence of God unfolding. But I would encourage you, even though we're going to be working on Part A, now is the time to start giving towards Part B because we could sort of have this thing done if if God wants us to have it done by next fall. I mean, we have a plan in place where if we have the laborers and the money to begin ordering things for it to come up here to Alaska, then we can put things in place um, really quickly, if that's the Lord's plan. And obviously, we just trust the Lord with the outcome of all of these things. Stark Raving Solutions is such a company that they come and train you for how to use their sound equipment that they put in place. And um, they, they come in and sort of swoop in in one week's time with the sound system and lighting and get it all set up. And sort of you give them, you give them the money and it's done. It's sort of in turnkey fashion with training. And so this could be very exciting, again, if the Lord wills. You know, these systems that are in the background, the audio, the visual technologies, the lighting, they're sort of the, the unseen workhorses. And we don't really notice them until they're not working. <laughs> and as leaders as well, if you're a worship leader, if they're not working well, it makes it harder. And one of the things we want to do is invest in those as well. I realize they're behind the scenes, and they are expensive. Uh, it's interesting. Stark Raving gave us a good, a better, and a best solution. We chose the good because we went, this will be immeasurably better from where we are right now. So those costs are, we're trying to keep the costs in a reasonable and you fashion. Can see, yeah, you can and you see can, on the screen here. Those white images are kites. Maybe you could explain what the kites are. Well, the kites, we want to put them on these two end beams and and bring them down to the wall. It's a light nylon fabric. It's often used in in auditorium venues now to basically be able to light them. And they also, for us, will sort of get rid of the scoreboard on Sunday. We're not keeping score. You know, we don't need those. (laughs) Have the time clock going while I preach. 
Right. Uh, the buzzer. You're not going to get buzzed you know, out. Yeah, you know, he fouled out. All right. <laughs> so those, those, those are just kind of uh, moderate, inexpensive ways to create an atmosphere that brings us to focus in on worship. What's, what is interesting about these pictures is we already have money for the rock pilasters that are going to go up and, and the paint um, sort of effect around. So there's going to be a noticeable difference even with what we're going to already do. But hopefully that will build um, and inspire us to do more as the Lord wills. The black curtains, you know, are part of phase B. And, and again, it will help us to focus on the Lord. But also it will be a blessing to the school with some of their fine arts um, events and things that they do as well. So it's a, it's a blessing all around. You know, from a schedule standpoint, when I laid this out, I was thinking about James 4 this week where it says, you know, don't pre- be presumptuous in your planning. It's, it's God who's going to lead us in this step by step. And that's the way we live life. You know, he gives us one day at a time. And it is a walk of faith when you're walking with him. I was thinking about it last night. I was actually praying as well about it. And, I, and I, at one hand on my human flesh, I was going, this is crazy. This is not a great economy. This is not a great time to launch a project. But at the same time, I was reminded how God gave us kids, and it didn't have anything to do with whether the economy was great. And, <laughs> and, and God has provided as we have gone on with him. And so I just, just be praying with us as to what your part will be and what God does here with us here at Grace. Well, Pastor Steve, I thought like first hour you could pray this hour and sort of dedicate this project to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we do come before you because you are the God of all. You are our God if we have trusted in you and made you our God. But more than that, you have made us your sons through Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. Father, this morning as I have thought about my part, I feel like the little boy with two fishes standing in the presence of the king. What might the king do with what you have given me to give back to you? So, Father, we trust you to change our hearts, to move us, to make us generous, to involve us in your work. Father, this morning as we look forward to just how you're going to not only renovate, if you will, the things that are on the surface here, but the things that are in our hearts as we worship this year. As you draw us together in fellowship, as as we work together, Lord. So I pray that your provision will come, and we are trusting you for it. Thank you, Lord, for everything you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand now and greet each other for a few moments as we sort of change our focus to each other. All right, let's return to our seats now and open our Bibles. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, and the section is dealing with 
anxiety, anxiety. Jesus speaking to worry or fear or anxiety and how we are to counsel ourselves through the issue that is so near and dear to many of us, the issue of worry. Follow as I read verses 25 through 34. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry. Being anxious. It's an issue that so many people at some point varying degrees and levels deal with. People are suffering from anxiety even as I speak in this room. People at varying degrees are concerned about things that are going on. It's pervasive. And if you think that anxiety is something that's sort of a a lesser issue, You perhaps are forgetting that our whole culture is concerned about issues of anxiety. People are medicating themselves because they are anxious. They are worried about one thing or another. People also talk often about being attacked by anxiety, as if it's something that comes from the outside and hits us, and they fall under anxiety attacks. And this paragraph here that I just read is the paragraph in the Bible that is the premier paragraph and teaching on the issue of anxiety. Anxiety is mentioned six times in these verses. More than anywhere else in the Bible, anxiety is addressed here. And many people say, look, I I don't need to address anxiety. I'm just born to be a warrior. It's my temperament. It's my personality. I'm easily stressed out or or bothered by things. And so it's not something that I can really figure out with the Bible, right? People say they suffer from anxiety, and I know many people do. But I'm just going to say it straight from the Word of God, that the teaching of Jesus here is to say that anxiety is sin. 
Anxiety is sin. To worry is to sin. And for some of us, that's sort of a new take on anxiety because our culture is so filled with saying that anxiety is something that happens to us instead of something that we are actively doing. But Philippians 4, 6 commands us to not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. But by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. The Bible gives us ways to deal with anxiety. 1 Peter 5, 7, we're to be casting all our anxieties on him. You know, if you put this under the the category of fear, now you've got a whole host of scripture, Genesis to Revelation, that addresses fear. In fact, if you were to measure out the commands of scripture and count how many commands are given in the Bible to fear not, you would find that that command is given more than any other command in all of the Bible out of all of the commands. And it's to fear not. It's over and over and over again that Jesus and the prophets say, fear not. Jerry Bridges, who wrote a book called Respectable Sins, one of his chapters is on anxiety. Anxiety is called a respectable sin because people don't view it as something that's as severe as hate or lust or fornication or other sins that seem so dominant and so awful. But if you think about it, anxiety is a very, very difficult sin to deal with, isn't it? If you're an anxious person, your life is filled with the fog of worry. And perhaps you're dominated by this sin and you're paralyzed with fear because of anxiety. It's debilitating. Charles Mayo, the co-founder of the Mayo Clinic, you've heard of that. He says that worry affects the circulatory system, heart, glands, and entire nervous system. And in a medical journal, this is what he said. He said, I never knew anyone who died of overwork, but I know many who died of worry kind of convicting. It shows the serious nature of what worry can do to us. It can can put us on the bench spiritually, can't it? It can take us out of fighting the good fight of faith. It can take us out of being kingdom productive. So we need to hear Jesus' teaching on this. How does Jesus deal with anxiety? Well, he calls us to come to grips with anxiety. This is a lesson on coming to grips with anxiety. And he gives three categories on coming to grips with anxiety. And the first is coming to grips with yourself. That's verse 30. Skip down to verse 30. Coming to grips with yourself. If you're wondering where the source of your anxiety comes from, where is it born? Look no further than your own heart's. Anxiety is born out of our own hearts and out of our lack of faith. Look at the five words that Jesus uses at the end of verse 30. He says to the crowds that were sitting there, the men and women, he says, O you of little faith. Good definition for anxiety is just lacking faith. Now let me say up front, I know that people are at different points in their Christian life, even in this room. Some of us are stronger than others in the walk of faith. 
And some of us struggle with anxiety more than others. And I'm not trying to get you to doubt your faith or doubt your Christian life. But I do want you to see that that Jesus is shepherding this crowd and saying, listen, if you are filled with anxiety, you are lacking faith. And this is less of a rebuke from Jesus and more of a, a loving reminder of where anxiety comes from. Anxiety is when you are focused on your problems or what you think you need instead of focusing on your Heavenly Father who cares for you. Maybe put another way, when you worry, basically what you're saying is, I'm not sure if God as my Father really cares specifically about my needs. That's anxiety. That's when we get nervous. That's when we become desperate. It's living in denial of our Father's care for us. Put another way, it's forgetting the gospel. It's forgetting the gospel. This anxiety is forgetting that God the Father bought you with his son's blood so that you could be his child that he cares for. It's just forgetting all about that. That's what's happening when we are anxious. So Jesus' tone here is gentle. He's anticipating that believers will need to trust God as they go through trials. And so he's, he's sort of asking, why are you concerned about your life when you have a heavenly father that loves you so that you'll say, oh, of course God loves me. Of course he cares for me. You know, this whole study reminded me of the man who had the son who was demon-possessed in Mark chapter 9. He was very concerned for his son because his son was demonized and his son was throwing himself into a fire or into water off and on. And so he was really worked up with anxiety and he approached the Lord for help out of a desperate need. If you've ever had children around water, whether they're swimming or just around it, especially here in Alaska, you're typically very concerned for their safety. This, this happens to me from time to time, right? where you just want to come back from something, collecting all your kids alive from an event. Well, anyway, this man was very concerned for the safety of his son. And he explained to Jesus what he was doing. And he says, but if you, Jesus, can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. So he was trying to prompt the father to believe. He was trying to to buoy up his faith so that he could trust Jesus. And the father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And this morning I want this text to help your unbelief. If you're anxious, if you're struggling with worry, if you're struggling over some issue in your life, I want your prayer to be, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. Because that's what Jesus is doing in this text. The immediate context is such that you'll remember last week, Jesus was addressing to the disciples whether or not they will serve God or money. Look at verses 19 to 24. He's talking about how disciples, true followers of Jesus, are either those who will live for earthly treasures or they're people who will follow God. And he kind of drew a line in the sand in verse 24. And in verse 25, it says, therefore, and then he begins to talk about not worrying. 
Why does he do that? Well, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, look, you're called to be a follower of Jesus and hold all of your wealth out with an open hand. You can't put your trust in your money or the money that you think you need to be happy and say that you're a follower of Christ at the same time. That's a contradiction. And so then he says, look, I'm calling you to this sort of mission field type of Christianity and I want you to not be anxious about it. Have you ever go to a missions conference and have a mission speaker sort of challenge the crowd to consider going on the mission field? And you begin to think, what would that look like? Now I'm going to live by deputation. I'm going to, I'm going to raise money for myself and not necessarily know where my, my future is going to lie and, and where my next meal is going to come from. And how am I going to provide health insurance for my kids? You ever do that in your mind? Well, that's what Jesus has just done, saying, look, you can't serve God and money. You've got to give yourself to me. All the way. And so by doing that, he, he's raising questions about their security. And he's saying, don't be anxious about God's provisions. These people were vulnerable and they needed to be comforted. Also, these people lived in Palestine where if it didn't snow and the rivers weren't running, then the crops weren't growing. And if the crops weren't growing, then you had no money. And if you had no money, then... It was difficult to provide for your family, and you couldn't clothe your family. And so, whether a drought would come, or the snow wouldn't fall, or a plague of locusts would would eat up all the crops, these people could be in desperate situations. And so, he's challenging believers to trust their Heavenly Father to feed them no matter what. You know, in America, and in Anchorage, we've got a market on every corner. If you turn a knob, you've got water. Water is accessible. It's happening. But that's not the case for these people and for many people in the world today. So the bottom line is, in verse 25, Jesus is saying, do not, commanding, do not be anxious about your life. And then he begins to to build an argument to show that you can't be anxious and be trusting your Heavenly Father to provide for you at the same time. That's a complete contradiction. It's completely illogical to do that in your thinking. To be a worrier and at the same time to be saying that you're trusting your Heavenly Father. It's a contradiction. And so he wants, to, he wants us to sort of come to grips with this reality. And that's a way for Christ to counsel our hearts to let go of our anxiety. It's a shepherd's heart that's coming out here. Well, first of all, we have to come to grips with ourselves that anxiety comes from our lack of faith, verse 30. But secondly, starting up at verse 25, we need to come to grips with our God. Come to grips with our God. Who is God to you as your Heavenly Father? If you understand who your Heavenly Father is, all of a sudden worrying becomes unnecessary. Unnecessary, And that's what Jesus is making the case for. Verse 25, God the Father sustains your life. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You are someone that God made. 
And so God loves you. He has a special interest in you. He views you not just as an inanimate object that he made, but as a living, eternal soul. That's the word there for life, is soul. He loves your soul. He loves you intimately. He loves you, and he loves the invisible you that no one else knows about and sees. That's how intimate his care is for you. And that's the beginning of what Jesus is saying. You're more valuable than whether or not you're going to eat or be clothed. He loves you enough to provide for you those things, but he loves you even more deeply than that. You're made in his image. And so secondly, your father not only sustains your life, but he prioritizes your needs. He does. This is illustrated with birds. That's what Jesus points to. He's probably talking to his disciples on the mountainside, and he looks over and sees some birds, and he he says, look, look at those birds over there. Notice the birds of the air, verse 26. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, Look, when we came to Anchorage, Alaska and showed up, there were some birds we didn't recognize, quite frankly. I'd never seen some of the beautiful birds that this, you know, part of the world hosts. I mean, just more exotic. Now, some of the older, you know, lower 48, uglier birds also live here too. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of different birds here. But birds are birds. You know, I've never seen a bird that's really struggling for a meal. I've seen them hop around and search for things. But they're typically productive in finding stuff, even in the snow. I've never seen a bird die of starvation. Not personally. Maybe you have. I've seen birds that are fatter than others. Right? You ever see a fat bird? Like, where's that bird eating, right? Birds are productive. And they're, they're not made in the image of God. They don't think about where their next meal is coming from. But, but Jesus' point is, is that these animals, the way they look and the way they act is they are productive, but they're being fed. It's going to happen for them. That's his point. And he's saying we need to take our cues from how God is involved in creation. In the same way God is involved in creation, he's involved in meeting your needs. You say, but you don't understand my situation. I'm, I'm in huge debt, or, or I, I've got this bill I've got to pay, or I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Yeah, but at, at the base level, he's meeting your needs. In the midst of cloudy circumstances, God is providing. That's Jesus' point. You know, there, if you were taking a philosophy class, there would be a section on cosmology, and, and the teacher would talk through different ways that you could understand God's involvement in the world. One way is to not believe in God at all, and that's to be an atheist or a naturalist, and that's to say, you know what? Really, Mother Earth is in charge. The Earth is God, and it's taking care of itself with the times and seasons, and it's growing and shrinking in its own time, in its own way, and there is no God. The second sort of form of cosmology that a philosopher would teach you is to be a deist or deism. And to be a deist is to, to be a person that views God as sort of passive in creation. He, he created everything, but, but it was almost like him being a great clockmaker in the sky where he made this grand clock and he wound it up and set it on go and then it takes care of itself from there. So when tornadoes happen or hurricanes happen or tsunamis happen, God really isn't involved in those details in specific whatsoever. It's just sort of happening. 
He's not involved. But the biblical version of God's involvement tells us that God is very much involved. He is sovereign over all creation. He created everything. And then he is intimately involved in the details of how things are working out, even in nature, even with animals. And I just kind of wanted to, to bring that up. Because viewing God's involvement in creation is an incredibly encouraging thing. Judy and I and the kids, we went to McHugh Creek yesterday and we grabbed some pizza and some other things. And we're sitting out there and we saw the the massive tidal shift that was happening, which was a wonder in and of itself. Just watching the beauty um, that's transforming in front of our eyes. And, And then Judy all of a sudden said, is there something alive out there? I mean, is something happening out there in the Cook Inlet? And we all went up to the railing. And all of a sudden, there was this, this teeming um, sort of event of beluga whales all around us with white humps happening and spray and just the majesty of God with just many belugas, uh, white and dark. And obviously, they were probably eating fish or something, right? And that, this was our first beluga whale experience. But I love the way how... Even, you know, in Anchorage, the locals still pull over and, and enjoy and take in the event that's happening because it's a wonder of God whether they know it or not. And at the end of our time, Judy said, wasn't this an incredible blessing for God to, to sort of be involved in this moment and give us that gift to see this happen before our eyes? And that's the way that you worship God through his creation. You understand he is involved. Uh, Psalm 107 talks about how God raises the stormy wind and lifts the wave of waves of the sea. Psalm 135, he makes clouds rise at the end of the earth and makes lightnings for the rain. Psalm 147, he sends his word and melts the snow crystals and blows the, the water that flows around. And in Psalm 104, the psalmist mentions Leviathan, which could either be a, a dinosaur from yesteryear or a whale or something. But I love the way that the psalmist describes God's relationship to Leviathan. He says, there is, verse 25, there is the sea great and broad in which are swarms without number, animals both small and great. There, are, there the ships move along and Leviathan, which thou hast formed to sport in it, They all wait for thee to give them their food in due season. In other words, God created this massive creature for himself to enjoy as he watches this animal sport in the water. And then he feeds it and provides for it as he does for all the animals in the ocean for his enjoyment. He's involved. And if God is involved in whether birds are hopping and whether birds are eating and whether whales are swimming, then certainly God is involved in providing our needs. That's the point. He's going to provide for you. He is. And so anxiety is something that we need to come to grips with. We need to understand that it's, it's sourced in our lack of faith. It comes from our unbelief. But that we can begin to tackle it by recognizing that your Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, cares intimately about our eternal souls and our lives. He does. He's working from the lesser to the greater. If he cares for birds, then what do we have to worry about? Verse 26, are you not of more value than they? Now, verse 27, Not only does God sustain us and prioritize us, thirdly, our Father controls our destiny. 
God controls your destiny. That's verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You think you can add any time to your day or to your life? I was working out recently to try to feel better and, you know, eat better and have some energy, you know, with my life. And it's a good thing to do that stuff. But I was reading this quote on the wall and it said something like, you know, 30 minutes in the gym just added three days to your life. Ooh, right? You know, that's inspiring. But, but really the scripture is saying, no, that, that's actually not true. God has numbered our days. He knows exactly when we are going to die. And so we're not supposed to live, live and die by, by keeping ourselves alive, right? It's good to be healthy, but we just leave the whole life and death stuff in God's hands, right? That's what we need to do. And then you can enjoy yourself more. Just, just live life to the fullest for the kingdom of God and let God worry about when it's our time. I know that many people worry about their children and keeping their children alive and when they would die. And, and we sort of can be caught up in the anxiety of what would happen if my child died before me. But have you ever noticed a believer in the Lord who is either on his or her own deathbed and or has lost a child, how God gives specific, very potent, very real grace to those moments? You ever talk to somebody on their deathbed where they say, listen, I've reconciled the fact that I'm going to die. I know the Lord is going to take me home. And I'm smiling at the future. I'm smiling at the fact that I've reconciled that and I'm resting in the Lord and I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And many of us have experienced that with people. And even people who've lost their children prematurely, you know, according to um, what what our plans would have been to have our kids grow old. and, And when the Lord takes them home, Oftentimes, parents who are believers, instead of being devastated, they're, they're working through the grief, but they're trusting the Lord because God is giving them grace to deal with that. Well, the Lord sustains us. He prioritizes us. He controls our destiny, and he provides joy for us, verses 28 through 30. And I kind of derive that from the fact that Jesus begins to talk about clothing. Clothing, not as a luxury, but as a provision. And he compares our being clothed to how God creates beauty in flowers and creation all around us. He says in verse 28, Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Again, a lily is an inanimate object, but it's a picture of grace and how God just creates beauty before us to enjoy And it's not struggling to be beautiful. It's not concerned about the latest fashion. I mean, I don't know a lily that's going, man, I really wish I was that over there. I mean, it's just, you know, enjoyment. Wow, this thing's taken off on me. Anyway, um, yeah, bottom line is this. When you see flowers, we need to be reminded of God's provision. I was in Costco yesterday. We were getting the pizza before we went to McHugh Creek. And I'm standing there with a few of my kids. A couple others were, you know, down the way. It's easy for that to happen with us. But I'm always wondering who I'm going to run into when I'm at Costco or wherever from the church. And I'm also wondering how my kids are doing when I run into people. And it was the Brants yesterday. It was, you know, Charles and Cheryl Brant. And they, they came up to me. And they're smiling. And I'm sitting there. And 
And we just began to strike up a conversation about the lilies that have been planted or the wildflowers that have been planted around the South Gym. And we're talking about how beautiful they were. And they said, you know, you should mention that in the sermon tomorrow. And I'm going, come on, give me a break. Why am I going to mention them, those things, you know? And here we are. And it was a perfect illustration of, of God beautifying things and the beauty of God. And I remember even standing there with uh, Nate Davis, Pastor Davis, as we were looking out over the, the South Gym and, and, you know, looking at the new wildflowers. And he was talking about how, you know, there was just dirt there and they, they laid seed. And all of a sudden, bang, like overnight, you've got wildflowers all over the place. And it's just a work of God. It's what God does to make things beautiful around us. Well, the point that Jesus is making is this. He's saying no matter how beautiful we think we can make ourselves, even as beautiful as Solomon and all his glory, even what all wealth could, could provide for us in beauty, that doesn't even compare to what God is just doing automatically in the world around us all the time. He automatically provides. He automatically beautifies. And so let's not get so wrapped up in making these things happen for ourselves. Don't make that the first priority. Don't, don't make that your worship, you know, worshiping the idea of having your next meal or worshiping our bank accounts or, or worshiping clothes or things to make us think that we're beautiful. You know, really, if you take an Armani suit and put it under the microscope, under the microscope, that beautiful clothing is just going to look like sackcloth, right? But if you take a flower petal and put that under the microscope you'll see something that would be even more wonderful than we could imagine. We see the glory of God in that. You know, there's something called the um, Fibonacci sequence, which is the metrical system of how things are designed and arranged. And I was sort of looking at this thing online. It's a code that was discovered in the 12th century in India. And it's a design that's found in all kinds of things. And even a flower petal, as you look at at it under the microscope, there's a metrical arrangement that's, that's, that finds its origin in the mind of God. That's the glory of God, how stuff is arranged so beautifully in harmonious, perfect symmetry all around us. So much so that architects pick, have picked up on this metrical code and they design and space things according to it to try to make it as beautiful as really God came up with in the first place. So he's working again from the lesser to the greater. Look at verse 30. He says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? If, if, if God is making something beautiful that's going to be burned up the next day, don't you think he cares enough about you to give you clothes? Oh, you have little faith. If he cares about inanimate objects, then... Why shouldn't he care about us? And I want to say this. You know, I know that there are suffering Christians all over the world, and I'm sure this probably came up in your thinking as a question. Uh, people who die from starvation, who are wonderful believers in the Lord, who aren't lacking faith, and those who die from exposure, perhaps we think of martyrs of the faith. You know, what happened there? Well, there are times where Jesus' pledge is not specifically going to apply in exceptional occasions where God's glory invades a situation and someone has to pay the ultimate sacrifice, right? I mean, you think of the martyrs in the New Testament, you think of Jesus Christ 
himself. That's part of Christianity. But in the main, your life should be lived according to Jesus' pledge that he provides for you. We're not to be anxious. We're not to really think about things as a worrier. I mean, on the other hand, let me just say this. Some of you don't worry enough. You, some of you might be hearing this message and you might be saying, you know what? Woohoo! I get a free pass not to think about anything. Well, that's not what this text is saying at all. I mean, the Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat, right? We need to be responsible. We do need to save. We need to, you know, plan. But ultimately, we need to seek the kingdom first as our priority and live our day-to-day life by faith. And let the provision happen, because God is our Father. Why shouldn't we worry? Well, worrying is unnecessary. That's what Jesus has been making the case for in our text. And then secondly, worrying makes you like everyone else. If you're a worrier, you look like everybody else, believer or unbeliever. If you worry, you're not distinct as a Christian. Being anxious and talking about that at the water cooler, like, oh, I just don't know how this is going to happen. Woe is me, for I'm undead. The sky is falling. If you have that kind of personality, that kind of persona, if you're delivering that kind of message, that's not a Christian message at all. That's contra to faith. It it doesn't harmonize with the idea that our Heavenly Father is providing for us. He knows our precise needs. So don't act like, verse 32, a Gentile. Verse 31, he says, Gentiles would be the kind that are saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? That's what a Gentile is doing. The Gentiles seek after these things. And it's implied that they would seek after them with these kinds of questions. Don't be anxious like them. Gentiles were, were representative of all the unbelievers outside of Palestine, all the Gentile idolatrous nations. They're worrying. Don't be like them. Instead, trust your Heavenly Father who's steady. This is the opposite of being anxious. Your Heavenly Father who knows that you need them all. I remember sitting in the car early on in my Christian faith. I was a year in the Lord. I was sitting outside of a youth activity in a car with a good friend, still friends with him today. And he was encouraging me because I was worried about something. I don't remember what it was about. I just remember I was anxious and wasn't getting past it. And finally, he just looked at me, and I'll never forget it. He just said, you know, God understands your needs. He understands you. And there was something in the way that he said that that just cut through my worry. And for the first time, I was thinking of God not just in terms of, you know, that great theological being in the sky— but I was beginning to think about the fact that my Heavenly Father really knows what's going on in my life. And He cares. Even if it's something that's confusing and something that's like a tangled, you know, tangled web that I can't sort of, sort of unravel. God understands it. He's got the plan in place and knows every need that we have. And so, with that understanding and that foundation, now what do we do? Look at verse 33. We've um, documented that worrying is unnecessary because he sustains. God prioritizes, controls our destiny, and provides our joy. And worrying makes us look like everyone else, so what should we do? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's a summary statement. 
Seek first. Now, we sang it earlier, but do we really understand what that means, to seek first the kingdom of God? This is what our manner of life should be like. Uh, the, the verb tense here, it's a present active imperative. What that means is you're not just to seek at a point in time the kingdom of God, but you are to continue to keep seeking the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Continually seek the kingdom of God. You're commanded to do it. To seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness. What is that? What is the kingdom of God? You know what the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is God's rule in your life. The kingdom of God is God is sovereign and I am submissive to his will. That's what it means to seek the kingdom of God. God is king in the past tense. He's king presently over his church and his world. And then he will always and forever be king as he reigns in the millennial kingdom and for all of eternity in heaven. We want his kingdom to come in the hearts of people. We want people to believe and join us to be members of the kingdom. But to seek first the kingdom of God is to recognize that God is king of your life today. And that's what we need to keep doing. We need to keep establishing that in our hearts. And that's what staves off anxiety. It's to say, God, you are king of my life. And you're king of all the things that I really can't control. I might think I can control them. I might think that worrying about these things will help me. But God, you're really in control of it all. It's to dethrone yourself. It's to care about God's kingdom and God's salvation. Here's another way to put it. It's to see how you have become part of God's kingdom through the gospel. Let me just go there. Let me just talk my way through what it means for you to be part of the kingdom. God is the king and he's on the throne. And before you were a believer, you were outside of his kingdom, and you were not a member of his court, and you were on your way to hell. And God is ruling and even providing for you, even though you were at enmity with him. By common grace, this king was a benevolent king, and he was giving you great gifts that you and I did not deserve. But even though you hated this king, one day... In spite of your hatred toward him, this king robed you with a righteous robe, being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he welcomed you to be part of his kingdom and to be a member of his court. And he welcomed you to be a co-equal heir with Christ, to reign and rule with him for all of eternity. That's what he did for you. And that's what he did for me. Seeking the kingdom of God first is remembering the gospel. That you are a son of the king and he's providing for you. And you, have, you are participating in the righteousness of Christ, sealed in that righteousness. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's recognizing that by faith. And so what Jesus is saying is keep focusing on what has changed your life and what can change everybody else's life, the kingdom of God. Focus there and then watch God provide everything that you need to yourself in ways that you couldn't ever imagine. He kind of caps it off in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is a realist. He's saying, look, seek first the kingdom of God, but you still need to work a job and you still need to deal with the daily concerns that are encompassed in that individual day. But he's also saying don't get carried away and begin to think too far out and worry about the outcomes that you cannot control. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Live within your day seeking the kingdom of God first. Now, we're officially over time today, but I do have some take-home points. You want to hear them? All right, here we go. This is what some people tell me they really listen to, so I better do the take-home points. Here we go. All right. Take-home points. These are booster shots for anxiety. Booster shots for anxiety. This is how we fill our hearts with faith. We fill our hearts with faith with the Word. And it's with the discipline of claiming promises. This is why we should... We should Memorize scripture and get it in our hearts so that when we need to counteract anxiety, we have the word of God to do it. Number one, countering anxiety over daily circumstances, like being late or embarrassed because you're late. I know none of you have ever experienced that, but I have. Wow. Do you ever have the uh, sort of embarrassment of coming late because you lost your keys? That's my favorite temptation. That's my, that's my, you know, real besetting sin. Because I'm a guy who comes home and I put my keys in the same place every time when I come home. It's, it's like I'm, you know, sort of unsaddling myself, putting my different wallet and, you know, stuff. And it's all in one place. And so if I go to that place 10 minutes before I'm supposed to be at a meeting and my keys aren't there, wow, I'm tempted. Okay? And my mind will begin to race through all of how embarrassed I'll be coming into the room late, you know, and looking, you know, as out of control as I really am in that moment. So how do you counteract that? Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You just begin to go, Lord, you're in control. You know exactly where this document is. You, you know why my printer's not printing this out. You know where my keys are and I'm yielding to you. Romans 8, 28, you're working this together for some kind of good that I can't figure out in my life to make me more like Christ, right? Number two, countering anxiety over pressing decisions a new business venture, caring for ailing parents. I mean, these are, there, there are all kinds of decisions that we have to go through. How do we counter anxiety? Claim the promise of Psalm 32.8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Recognize that God knows your needs. All of these verses can be woven back into what we just studied. I know that. But these are great ones just to hang on to. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be, dis- be not dismayed, for I am the Lord. I'm sorry, I, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Number three, countering anxiety over the spiritual health of your children, friends, or neighbors. Straying spouses or children. I know many people who struggle with the fact that they sowed seed in the hearts of their kids and now as teenagers or as young adults, it's like they're walking away from the faith. And that can be a deep heart pang that, that you go to sleep with and wake up with every day. Well, how do, you, how do you manage that grief? You have to manage it with the Word of God. Perhaps claiming the promise of Isaiah fifty-five eleven that the Word of God will not return empty. 
say, man, my Bible study didn't go well. I had this discipleship group, and I was kind of communicating and stumbling over my words, and I didn't feel a connection. You know what you got to do in your mind? You know what you got to do as a preacher? Your word will not return empty. I'm sowing, and then you just leave it up to God. And that's how we as fellow disciples need to be in the body of Christ as well. You sow seed, and you leave the results up to God. Proverbs 22, 6, you train your children up and you you pray they won't depart because that's a promise in principle. It's not a guarantee. Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Number four, countering anxiety over sickness, a new normal, a terminal illness or growing old. A lot of people are anxious about um, new disabilities that they acquire through, you know, disease or, or an accident or something like that. And that's the new normal. How do you deal with that? A terminal illness where you realize that your life is going to be shortened potentially or just growing old in general. Second Corinthians twelve nine. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is, perf- is made perfect in Weakness, Isaiah 46, 4. I like this one. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I'm hoping to go gray. I have made... (laughs) I am, I am. That is a goal I have, right? I want there still to be some there one day. So this is my promise. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. Number five. Countering anxiety over opponents, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Have you ever claimed that verse? You go through a bad day, you have a bad time with somebody, and you take, take it as an attack, and you just think in your mind, Lord, I just think you're for me in this, and so if you're for me, I can't take that personally. You know, I, I can't have malice towards that person. Because if God's for me, who can be against me, really? I'm in Christ. We need to claim these promises to conquer anxiety, to battle through it, to cope with it. And I hope these faith boosters can enhance our faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that our church would grow in grace and that we would be a model of faith as we are Um, striving together as one body with one mind, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Lord, we give you all the glory for this day and this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. I want to just encourage you to stay around and check out the different service opportunities that you find in the, the tables here with our ministry fair. We want you to be plugged in, fellowship with each other, and enjoy each other in the Lord today. And let us all grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and be salt and light to our world. You're dismissed.